yeah, so um, that's basically, in a nutshell, why I'm very suspicious of Flamingo's legs. But um, how are you guys doing? James already losing his mind over there. <laughs> <laughs> Can't trust Flamingo legs. <laughs> One of these days, you're going to have to answer these cold opens. All right, guys. Before I answer the cold opens, let me introduce today's episode because we have another special episode starring a guest. Actually, why don't you introduce yourself? <laughs> All right. Well, um, my name is Kyle Hanna, and uh, I am deeply honored to be on uh, this podcast. Um, so I guess, how did I get here? Well, um, 1989, I was born. And no, I'll skip ahead to um, <laughs> to when I met Jamie and uh, and Anthony. Uh, so uh, skipping ahead to two thousand nine, I think it was so long ago now. Yeah, it was the summer of two thousand and nine, if I remember correctly. Well, it would have been fall, right? <laughs> I think he's. I think you started in the summer for some reason. Summer. You know what? It's funny because I was reflecting on this, and um, I think what happened was I was trained in April. Uh, at attendance services at Carleton, by the way, just so people know what we're talking about. Yeah. And then, yeah, I got trained and kind of like onboarded in April. And then Scott told me, he said, we're probably not going to have any hours till September. So I got trained, you know, like four months before I actually like started. I might have, I might have picked up a shift or two in the summer. Because I remember you in the cafeteria at Carleton in the summer, because there were so few people, like I remembered every new face. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh and I think cuz yeah the the army was still stationed like oh, in yeah. residence there when I met you so it would have had to have been like in in probably late August or something like that. Yeah. So I I think I got uh onboarded it was great timing in April just as the school year was ending and then I I kind of started for real in August. And then I worked at attendant services till 23 20- 14, I want to say. Yeah, I think that sounds right. Uh, yeah, but, I graduated in twenty, the end of 2013. Yeah, so I guess that means four, four to five years yeah. of attending at Carleton. Um, and I also did volunteer with the uh, OPWHL, the Ottawa Power Wheelchair Hockey League. Um, so that was kind of neat. I was refing there, got yelled at a lot by Tony. <laughs> um, and um yeah that was cool too because you gave me so many penalties yeah that's true well you know like roddy roddy slipped me a five so <laughs> <laughs> wanted to get the best player off he wanted to get the best player off the other dude <laughs> so yeah that's that's been my um that's how i kind of got connected to uh to um well tony and jamie so yeah. 2009 to 2014 is probably like one of the most long or longest and consistent 10 years for people who were like non like lifers in that position. Yeah. Cause um, most people, most people would quit within like one or two years at most. I mean, it was, it was a good job. It was, it was fun and uh, yeah, I enjoyed it a lot. So yeah. Okay. Well, I have a question that they, didn't ask you. Actually, no, I'm going to save it. Let's introduce the movie first because I want yes. We just watched the movie together. It's as you can probably tell from the title if you read the title before listening to the episode. Is the fundamentals of caring, which 
is a pretty sick movie released. When was it released, Jamie? I don't 2016. know. I think it was like 2013. 2016. Oh, 2016. 2016. Wow. Nice. Bam. Thanks for, thanks to Kyle for doing Kyle- this. Kyle <laughs> Yeah. It's not a thing. It is a thing. We're going to make it a thing. <laughs> oh, God. Okay. Yeah, so the movie, the overall plot of the movie is like, Paul Rudd is an attendant. And Paul Rudd now seems like probably the world's best attendant. True. Um, but Kyle Hannah gives him a pretty good run for his money. The only thing... Not even. Well, we'll find out with this question. I want to ask you a question that the star of the movie asked Paul Rudd, which is... I mean, it's hard to improve on his answer, I will say, but how would you wipe an ass? Saw that one coming. Yeah. Um, I would wipe an ass until uh, it became as clean as it possibly could be. That's a good answer. <laughs> I have a sub question. Yes. Back to front or front to back? Oh, man. Um, front to back. Great answer. Is that the right answer? Did I, did I pass? I think so. I think for guys, it doesn't matter as much. But I think I think sometimes you can make some real mistakes going back to front. Yeah, you definitely could. Yeah. <laughs> so should we give some context here? Uh, basically, the movie is about um, Paul Rudd uh, getting a job as an, at- as an attendant for uh, a-, a kid with uh, muscular d- dystrophy. Yeah, Duchesne's. Duchesne muscular dystrophy. Which is a degenerative... Uh, disability. I don't actually know much about that diagno- di- diagnosis at all. What's cool is I, I don't think we've seen another movie yet on this co- or covered another movie yet with any form of MD, which my disability is not Duchenne's and it's not technically muscular dystrophy, but it falls under the umbrella of MD, spinal muscular atrophy. And so it was definitely the closest to my experience of any of the disabilities we've seen in a movie so far which is pretty cool was that representation of that disability like uh um okay by you yeah i mean they did a pretty good job of throwing in like you could see there was like a hoyer lift in the background and there was like like a cough assist machine which kyle is actually sitting right in front of right now so like there are definitely yeah I, i think they did their homework when they were like at least what machines do people use? He wears a CPAP when he sleeps. You know, I wear a BiPAP, which, not to brag or anything, but the CPAP only uses one different air pressure, and mine uses two different air pressures, so whatever, but, you know. So you breathe better at night than the main character in this movie? Oh, I breathe worse, so I need a better machine. I don't know <laughs> which way you want to work out. Oh, God. <laughs> but, yeah, no, so I think it was pretty good introduction to... DMD. They did gloss over some of it, but they didn't gloss over everything. Like they covered enough to make you feel like you were watching a movie about disability for sure. Like flesh out the details, but not make it seem too morose or anything like that, right? Yeah. DMD is nothing like DMD. No. No, that's a different thing. Both equally uh, affect your breathing for sure. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they never use the lift, though. I did notice that. Yeah, well, when you have Paul Rudd, do you need a lift? That's true. I mean, I guess they leveraged all those scenes where he needed to transfer for, like, physical comedy. Because, mm. like, literally every moment where he's transferred is kind of like this, like, funny little awkward thing. 
dangerous too because like the guy's moving his chair when he's trying to transfer him that's a recipe for disaster right yeah so the movie starts basically they're trying to hire a new attendant and they they didn't even show any any failures in the interview process it just cut straight to deleted scenes yeah they should have deleted scenes of like oh my god that'd be someone funny. else being like i would like to help disabled people because i think i can make them better or like any sort of the healers thing. yeah the, the, heal- healers. the faith healers <laughs> yeah. that is actually that is a good point there there was no like bad examples in order to make paul rudd seem like the good fit no it, he was hired based on purely on his answer to the question how would you wipe an asshole yeah which was similar to kyle's answer <laughs> right i might yeah. have uh, i might have uh, borrowed borrowed that answer <laughs> I was never asked that question uh, in my interview. I think that's like, what what were you asked? Do you remember any of your interview process? Uh, Not much, not much at all. Uh, It was basically like pretty generic questions. Like, why, why do you want to do this job? Or like, what do you, yeah, Yeah. what do you expect? That kind of thing. Uh, And now after having done the job for like four or five years, mm -hmm. what question do you think they should have asked you? I mean that that's a fair question though about like how how you deal with um you know unsavory stuff I yeah. suppose it's totally fair cuz they definitely sugarcoat when you're getting an interview process they're going to say stuff like mm-hmm. do you have flexible hours are you okay with like I, I don't even know what they might ask you like why are you doing this or something like that it's part of the job though you know like so yeah it's a fair question i i do believe there was a a like um, a member of the um, attend services program interviewing me. Uh, I can't remember who it was, but mm. I think they did have someone there. So it wasn't just um, the staff, That's but yeah. But they never asked you like, have you ever been peed on accidentally or anything like that? I mean, no, they didn't ask me that. Uh, be kind of weird if I had, I suppose, <laughs> unless I had like a kid or something, but. Um... <laughs> or, or you just party a lot. Yeah. <laughs> party too hard yeah it was actually me that uh peed on myself, but... <laughs> no yeah that was yeah uh what else would i ask i guess i would ask why why you're doing it why why you're doing it i think that's a deceptively hard question it is totally is yeah you may not even know the answer i don't even know what answer i would want yeah exactly <laughs> tony i was gonna ask you have you ever attended the interview process for an attendant that would ultimately mm-hmm. end up helping you? No, I think they offered me the opportunity when I was living at Carleton and I didn't really pursue it. I Honestly, I don't know what I would ask. Like, unless you're going to just kind of tongue-in-cheek ask the questions like this kid was asking, or kid, he was like 19 in the movie, but like he was asking questions like that. Like, uh, like <laughs> how would you wipe my ass? And I think that's, I don't know. I don't think I don't think I would bring myself to ask that question, but that is maybe the most pertinent question. I think what I would try to do is paraphrase like incidents that I've had with attendants in the past and try to ask them how they might handle a similar situation. Mm, like what? Like I don't know, <clears throat> what would they do if they were administering your feeding feeding tube and something went awry? Like I I'm not sure exactly what the situation would be, but yeah. it'd be something along that vein, right? I think to me, every everyone that I've worked with as an attendant, it basically, when they start, that is the interview process. 
like the, the actual interview is just enough to be like, are you insane? Or are you doing this to steal from me? Or like, do you like to take advantage of vulnerable people? Are you a criminal? Just kind of weeding out the absolute extremes. And then when you start working, I think that's when you're you're constantly like, okay, part of it is just your dynamic. Like how well can you handle um, working together? Because you spend a lot of time together. And so your personalities kind of have to get along enough to... But also how you how you deal with um, potentially awkward situations, which there are many in the attendant, uh, you know, like, you know what I mean? Because that's you, you have to be able to to kind of approach it with, um, I don't know, maturity, but also like humor sometimes as well. And um, Do you find it did you find it difficult to navigate like when it's appropriate to like make light of a situation or like when it's just like pure professionalism is it just purely dependent on your interactions with that person in the past it it depends it depends on who i was with for sure um but i would always err on the side of professionalism because i think that's a good way to err in that scenario yeah. uh, of the two but yeah it definitely depends on who who i was um who i was around definitely different dynamics with different people yeah just kind of let them lead i guess and if yeah. they make a joke, you can go along with it. <laughs> yeah, pretty so much. So one of one of the three lines of the fundamentals of caring is that um, the main character, the disabled guy, whose name I don't even remember, actually. Trevor? Trevor. Trevor, yeah. <clears throat> Trevor does a lot of things to try to uh, push Paul Rudd outside of his comfort zone because I think he has um, naturally like some uh, abandonment issues. So he wants to make sure that Paul Rudd can handle the full extent of his needs and also you know, like tolerate his bullshit. Um, so for example, within the interview process, like the first few minutes of the movie, he pretends to be developmentally delayed and to like try to dr- drive his chair into Paul Rudd. And then there's this whole thing where he, like he's wondering what triggered this, what triggered this outburst? Like, you know, like, uh, is he okay? Like, is it because of my, my aftershave or something like that. And <clears throat> so anyway, uh, what's another thing he does? Um, he asks the question, pick a number between one and 3,500. Right. Yeah, Implying that if he fails, he may not get the job. Which we later learn the rate of diagnoses in men, because Duchesne's, I think, only affects men, is one in 3,500. So I think he's like probably spent his life locked up in his house thinking, how did this happen to me? Like, how random of a chance is it? Um, I am one in 3,500. That's a great point. Yeah. Yeah. It shows the randomness of it and how unlikely it is, I suppose. Um, yeah. And that's not even, I don't even know if that's that unlikely. Like, if you say something happens one in 3,500 males, I like, I don't think that's insane. I don't know what the rate is for SMA. Or I don't know, Jamie, if you know what the rate is for CP. No, not a clue. It has to be a lot lower than it was 30 years ago, though. Sure, yeah. But, like, being able to pick that number at random is pretty much an impossible game. So, um, I, I actually wanted to, to, to follow on this, this uh, you know, the, the interview. And I, I would say he's testing Paul, Paul Rudd's character in, the, in these interviews. Uh, I, I was kind of uh, reading about how the actor who plays Trevor trained for this role. Uh, and one of the things he did, you know, you would have to research. I, I guess I should tell 
people. The the, the person, the actor who plays Trevor is able-bodied. Um, so there was actually a blog post by a guy who helped uh, Craig Roberts research for this role. And I thought that this was an interesting quote that he said. This is the, this is the blogger uh, who does have uh, Duchesne, by the way. Uh, he said that in, in terms of um, feasibility and availability, he's, he's talking about able-bodied play, actors playing disabled characters. In terms of feasibility and availability, disabled actors cannot always be cast for these roles. But he said, if played by an able-bodied person, the part will have to be played to perfection. Otherwise, it will look inappropriate. And I immediately thought of that opening scene where he comes in and he, and he pretends to be um, have a mental, um, yeah. a, a different disability, right, than he has. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, that, you know, how do you guys feel that he played that role? And do you think that he, he did okay? given that pressure, I guess. I think relative to the other actors in the film that uh, Craig, Craig Robinson was his name. Uh, Craig Roberts. Yeah. His performance was good. Like his approximation of disability was not like jarring enough to uh, suspend my disbelief or like take me out of the movie. But um, I also think that the movie would have worked a lot better if they would have used an actual disabled actor. Uh, because it is sort of, it, it is kind of obvious that he's not disabled, at least to me. And I can't really quantify why. So as the resident MDR, obviously we've talked about this before. I don't really know what the right answer is. I think if they could have found a person who would have fit the role well, who was also disabled, that's fantastic. I obviously don't know what their casting process was like, but for the sake of like those physical stunts, like you're mentioning where he gets transferred on and off a toilet or he's like driving around uh, while Paul Wright is trying to lift him out of his chair just to basically be an ass to him and test his limits. Or when he, when he pretends to choke on food for Christ's sake. Right. Or when he's, when he pees standing up, like all of those things, if, if he was actually, uh, disabled, you might not be able to do those quote stunts. But then that would have forced the movie to try to figure out a different way of portraying similar scenarios, because all of those situations like could ostensibly like be something that would happen between a disabled person and an attendant. I just think that like if they would like think about how the scene at the end of the film when Paul Rudd finally figures out a way to help um, Trevor P standing up. Think about how much more it would have worked if 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 it was clear that he was a disabled person, like in real life. I, I feel like it's kind of like what you know when you watch uh, one of the latest Star Wars movies, and they use that that weird um, <clears throat> like approximation of uh, of deep fakes to like put a a dead actor like into a scene. I f- I feel like there's like a similar um, uncanny valley effect where like your brain knows that something about this portrayal isn't true. And that's kind of the feeling that I had while I was watching the movie, like just that nagging feeling that, Oh, this guy isn't actually disabled. So all the things that are happening for him are not truly cathartic for me as a disabled, like audience member. Cause I know that he doesn't have a parallel experience to me. And we've talked about how like he, like, you know, like movies are fake and he's an actor and that's kind of the point, but I really think that this movie could have worked 
with a real disabled person. And I think that's why you and I were kind of like fantasizing about going on a road trip with Paul Rudd. <laughs> like, I, I understand that you watched it and you had some Paul Walker syndrome while you were watching it. But like, <laughs> do you think that it's because he did such a good job of portraying the role that it was such a believable role that he was able to like make you as a disabled person see yourself in that position. Cause if he didn't do a good job, wouldn't it have been just so hard to understand. I spent most of the movie identifying with Paul Rudd over Trevor. Like I, I kind of felt like Trevor was this like insolent, like little kid who needed to grow the fuck up. <laughs> yeah. And he was very, very lucky to have this like paternal figure enter his life and show him that he can do more than what he currently does. You know, like an, an an adult influence outside of his mother to tell him that there is an actual world outside of his disability and that he should be living in it. I I don't know the casting process, but I do know that they they had a, a really hard time casting the um, Trevor character. Yeah, that would be really hard. Yeah, I read that they you know had been through like dozens of people, whereas they had Paul Rudd cast uh, well before as the uh, attendant. I mean, yeah, they're, they're, like offhand, there's dozens of people I can think of that would probably fit that archetype Yeah. Uh, for, for Paul Rudd's character. But yeah, to find a disabled actor who can satisfy all of the, the physical demands of the role must be super, super hard. And I, I wanted to circle back to something Jamie said, I guess, uh, when he was referring to, the, to, the, to uh, Trevor peeing standing up, there's a scene where Paul Rudd it's near the, the beginning where Paul Rudd asks him, you know, what would you do if you could, if you didn't have your disability? And I think he's being kind of cheeky and he says, I would pee standing up. But it's a thing that keeps coming back right throughout the movie. Paul yeah. Rudd tries to help him pee standing up. Actually, uh, my a few years ago, my friend got married and in a speech I gave at the wedding, I told a story about how him and I used to hang out a lot in his backyard because he loves to have bonfires in Thunder Bay and uh, hmm. we'd, we'd have drinks and it'd be a big problem because he lives in a split level house with, like, with his wife. And so anytime I'd have to pee, it'd be this like arduous process of him, like basically like carrying me or at least getting me to the staircase and helping me down all the way to the basement, to the bathroom. And so at one point he's like, you know what? Like, fuck it. This is like the sixth time we've hung out at a bonfire this summer. And you have to pee like four times a night when we get to drinking heavily. And like, you need to figure out how to pee standing up. And so I tried in my walker at his place, like into the fire. And I ended up pissing my pants essentially. <laughs> and then he had to carry me down the stairs and I had to, I had to uh, wear, wear a pair of his sweatpants. And I still have this, the, 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 the sweatpants to this day that I pissed in. I never gave them back to him. Souvenir. Yeah, memento, yeah. So yeah, like that whole thing about peeing standing up, there's something about it. It's like a weird like male rite of passage. You know, like one of the hardest parts about being disabled is, is having to yield an element of your personal hygiene to another person, you know? And to, like, I imagine it takes a lot to get to the point where you're... Uh, where you're no longer bladder shy <clears throat> or where you're comfortable enough to, to complete that task with help. And so like peeing standing up is just this like thing where it's like, yeah, I can empty my bladder on my own and I, <laughs> mm -hmm. and it's easy and I can pee anywhere. And it's like very, it would be very liberating if I could fucking pee anywhere I wanted to. So yeah, it totally makes sense. Yeah. I think it's more 
I don't think it's so much peeing standing up as it is, like you're saying, just like the freedom to pee when you have to pee. Yes. Like that's the thing. We've talked about it at least twice on this podcast where we have to plan our peas or on our outings because we know like if I'm leaving at this time, I'm probably going to have to pee around this time and this time. So I'm going to have to be near a bathroom at these times or I'm just going to not have to drink much water before that. And so it's a whole process. Whereas if you can just uh, pee whenever you need to pee, that to me, I don't care how I, I, I would be upside down or like hanging from a tree or whatever. But if I can just do it whenever I need to do it, that would be fantastic. Peeing upside down would be weird. <laughs> yeah, I remember one time, uh, like years ago in 2008, like having to explain to um, my engineering like roommates that I used to drink with on the weekends, <laughs> like why I didn't like leaving campus with them. Because quite often they would choose bars where I, I couldn't pee without help or without devoting like a large portion of my life to, or a large portion of the night to the logistics of getting to a bathroom. And so I just had to tell them, like, I'm sorry, but I, it's like, I've been caught too many times with a full bladder, like stuck somewhere where I couldn't go pee. And I, I'm the risk of, of pissing myself is, is just too, uh, too great. (laughs) So it's not so much the peeing standing up as it is the lack of stress associated, which is, which is uh, appealing. Yeah. And it it feels, it feels like if that problem were solved, then like the whole, the whole thing about disabled independence, like a a major portion of that problem would no longer be. Yeah. It's like a shorthand. Yeah, exactly. I had the same kind of epiphany when I started realizing I could pee. Epiphany? Epiphany. Patent pending. (laughs) Patent pending. (laughs) That's what they should brand name a urinal. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> when when it, when it suddenly strikes <laughs> it's there when you need it yeah, when there's no toilet nearby epiphany epiphany um yeah but when i when i realized i could pee in my chair without having to like transfer or something that was that was a deal break or a game changer for me because i i knew that like i basically just need a urinal and a willing helper yeah a world of possibilities opened up. Yeah. And so, so that was yeah. huge for me. So now my next problem is I need to figure out a way to do that for number two. So I could just like <laughs> where my push a button and a hole opens up in my chair or something. <laughs> I really have this fantasy that I could just <laughs> where does just it push go? a button and like I don't know, maybe it's maybe it fuels my chair. So dark matter. Dark matter yeah. underneath the chair just gets sucked in. It gets sucked in, it gets converted to battery juice. A defecation portal? Environmental, yeah. environmentally friendly. It would be better for the environment. I would yeah. save water. <laughs> and I would get, like, what if I was, like, out for a hike and the only thing keeping me from getting home was the next big poop? So I just take that big poop. It fuels my chair, gives me enough battery to get home. Yeah. <laughs> so could happen the possibilities are endless really. you really do need to sit down and develop this composting power chair system i think it's a genius <laughs> idea but if someone else wants to take the lead on it i'll be okay get giving them all the credit when you do figure this out we'll call it an epiphany <laughs> epiphany <laughs> love it 
Um, what did you guys think about the uh, the mom? Because I um, it gave me a, it gave me an appreciation of how organized, like you said, like life has to be sometimes, right? And yeah, like what what did you think of her character? That's a very good way to look at it because I think for Jamie and I were so. I don't want to speak for you, Jamie, but like for me, I'm so in the community that to me, that mom is like annoying and overbearing. Yeah, me too. But it is true that without a mom like that, you're often scrambling or just out of opportunity because you get to an airport and you realize you don't have all the things you need to get on the plane or all your ducks aren't in a row. And then you're basically always in like, stress mode or problem solving kind of like emergency mode i would have been freaking out at that first encounter with the mom where she's basically going through his routine at 200 miles an hour yeah, uh, yeah. i would have retained one percent of that and then she's like okay bye <laughs> but she made a handbook right or uh or something yeah. like that my mom yeah. did that too my mom had a binder and yeah. anytime i had to go to the hospital she had a binder. She would just grab it and bring it to the doctor. And it had like my whole medical history in it. It had everything that you could imagine you needing when you go to a doctor. And I hated that thing because it just, it was like a big book of why you're disabled. Mm. But at the same time, it also is one of the most important things to keep you sane and to also literally just keep you alive. She's a good foil, though, eh, for Paul Rudd's character of who's a little more laid back and chilled. It's kind of a cool tension, I think, between the two. Yeah, I, I enjoy that they didn't necessarily make her a villain. <laughs> like, mm. it's clearly evident from the moment she's on screen that she loves her kid. And that's kind of probably a pretty hard vibe to strike. <clears throat> like, the a movie that we watched previously called Run is all about uh, like a extremely overbearing um, helicopter mom who won't let her disabled child out of her sight. Um, and she's portrayed like an absolute villain, which she is. Uh, and her care is kind of weaponized and like uh, made to seem like a form of abuse, like too much love or too much control is a form of abuse. And you could, you could potentially even take that advantage here with Trevor's mom. But I think the difference is that she welcomes Paul Rudd and it doesn't take her too much or too long to yield to this idea of a road trip for Trevor. So mm. she's probably trying to figure out a different way of approaching disability, but that's scary. Like relinquishing control and letting him be his own person is hard. It's and he's kind of young enough where it's still understandable that she's like that. But if Trevor was like 30, then that would be a fucking problem. <laughs> you know, but uh, like my, my my parents in general are not overbearing. Uh, like if my parents go on a trip, for example, like they'll basically just like set out a toaster oven and put some frozen food in the fridge and tell me like, you know, good luck, <laughs> good <laughs> which luck. is fine and cool and everything. Um, but uh, <laughs> the problem with kind of like itemizing and creating like a very structured schedule around a disabled person's life is that you kind of risk the dynamic where they never quite figure out these things for themselves and they get too mm. sort of used to the rhythm and the execution of their routine by their caretakers. So they don't even, they not even really aware of the kinds of decisions that other people make on their behalf. 
So they can end up in situations where, you know, they attempt to travel on their own, for example, and forget a whole bunch of things about, you know, the logistics of getting somewhere with their chair, because typically they're with their parents or with the people that make these decisions for them. And I found that that was a major issue for me. Like when I was at Carleton, I had to rediscover the notion of object permanence. (laughs) (laughs) Like I didn't realize that like I didn't actually clean up my own environment enough on my own because my dad just kind of does it like silently. He's like a silent hoover. And my mom is too. They're like kind of cleanliness Nazis. And so my space would always be like ready for me. But then when I lived on my own, like that didn't happen. Mm. And then I had, you know, have occasionally some depressive tendencies, which can lead to messier spaces. And so I, I had to realize that uh, there were several things about my own needs that I w- was not taking into consideration by myself. And I had to start doing that and taking ownership of those needs. And so, yeah, she's a good character, but Paul Rudd is also an awesome person to try to usher Trevor into the next phase of his life, which is, you know, early 20s and like young adulthood. She gave him the perfect, cozy protected bubble wrapped lifestyle but then he eventually got to a point where he's like if i keep living like this this will be my you can easily just see where your life is in 30 years yeah and i think when he realized that he's like oh i need to let myself out of this cocoon that is you know safe and probably not much bad can happen to me here except probably early onset diabetes from all of the waffles he eats but then eventually he realizes like there's got to be more to life than watching everything on his TV. Seriously, though. Yeah. Those waffles, come on. Yeah, but yeah. that's something I remember at Carlton. Like, like you know, the, the, there was the cafeteria-style uh, meal plan at Carlton where, like, if you're young and dumb, what you would do is, like, eat pizza four times a week. And then mm. the freshman 15, you'd have to accumulate the freshman 15 and realize the importance of other food groups, hopefully. And I remember like I went through that myself as a client and some people that I lived with. It did seem strange. And I think we brought this up when we were watching it about how like uh, she does have everything so perfectly coordinated and ready to go at any given time. Every part of his life is so well structured, except he's eating garbage for breakfast every single day. Yeah. And like, why is it that that is the thing that she's letting him be loose on? Well, I think she addresses that. She says that I'm tired of like fighting him on it. Mm. So it's part of his like stubbornness too. That was great cheeses for me. My mom is like, uh, tried to like keep me and I was like, I'm going to eat a grilled cheese. That's going to be my, but I used to think that they were called girl cheeses. That's... Yeah. Girl cheese. <laughs> yeah. I used to only eat fish sticks from about age three to five. Like that's the only thing I ever wanted to eat. Fish sticks and frozen peas. Are you saying sticks? Sticks. Yes. Sticks. Okay. Not, not genitals. Sticks. Yeah. Like the... <laughs> <laughs> uh, fish sticks. <laughs> I was going to ask you guys too about uh, Carlton. Do you guys feel that the people who were at Carlton are, because I, I think Carlton tried to encourage independence as much as is possible with people living uh, on, on campus. Did you feel that the people who are living there were, were more independent 
the like minded, then maybe a sample population of the people with disability. Um, mm, that's a really good question. Yeah, I asked that because of the you know Trevor at the start is clearly not. So I think it forces you to like Jamie's saying, like to kind of take back control of your own care because mm. you're growing up and you're living at home and you're used to just your parents having all this stuff set up for you. And then you have to quickly realize that like, yeah, you're going to have to buy your own groceries and prepare your own food. But even more is like tell people how to shave your face or like put on your shirts or whatever. I never had attendance growing up. So like, I didn't have any care workers coming in until maybe like a year or two before I was going to university. And that was only because I knew, or maybe my parents knew, like, like I think it was ultimately them that, were, that said, you need to do this. But they hired someone because they knew I needed to basically practice directing my care because my parents had been doing it my whole life. And I had to eventually learn, like when someone comes in, so I need something, I have to be able to explain to them how to do it. So yeah, I think for me, it made me very aware of the steps that were required and all of the little steps even within that to be able to be independent. I just wanted to say like, um, or I just wanted to affirm that, you know, Tony's not blowing a lot of hot air. It's like one of the things that I respect about how you cope with your disability uh, is that you do know exactly how to account for your needs. And I've said this before on the podcast, but it's a thing. Yeah, it's it's almost like a protection thing. Like, I know that I, I, I really believe that the, quote, severity of my disability is bad enough that if I didn't have that ability to kind of have everything ready, uh, or at least the ability to explain what I needed to be ready, then I probably wouldn't be able to be functional living alone. And so, like, it is a big part of my, maybe even my conscious thought process is to just make sure that I'm always kind of ready to go. And I, I don't know, Kyle, if you've, if you've ever been caught in a situation with a client where they've had a need and, like, not known how to address it or you're like a like an accessibility dilemma and you don't know the path forward but like i've had situations where i've been out with other disabled people like in public or at an event or something and we encounter like we can't find an accessible bathroom or we can't get to a specific level of the building to go to the event or to 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 see uh whatever it is we're there to see and it's like it's kind of like a crisis it's like oh shit what do we do now like when you get the sense that you could have pre-planned for this thing, it really feels like a, like a, a missed opportunity or, or a failure on some level. And it's not only, it's not always clear where to ascribe that failure. Like obviously that's a byproduct or a symptom of living in an able-bodied world or an able-bodied or an ableist society, but it's still an inevitable thing, an inevitable thing you have to cope with when you are not, when your experience is not that of the majority. So, you know, the, the training at Carleton was pretty Spartan. Like, I mean, that's not really a criticism. It's more like just, it wasn't, uh, you know, we didn't have, so in the movie, they have a, (laughs) they have a, an acronym Aloha, which they keep coming back to ask, listen, observe, help ask again. 
there was nothing like that with like a, a blackboard that I can remember or anything. It was mostly just me tailing attendance and then being being like, okay, this is how you do this thing. This is how you do that thing. So I would say this, that most of the days that I worked as an attendant were pretty normal. And it, it, it kind of felt like, you know, it, it, start, it started like with, with a, an unfamiliar person. It started like you, you were kind of getting to know one another, just like, just like a friendship, just like a conversation. You're trying to get to yeah. know one another. And then, you know, after a while, I could pretty much do everything with my eyes closed. Um, but then there were times, Jamie, yeah, some shifts where it was just like a full moon or something. And right. it would feel less like a scripted part and more like improv. Like I was like trying to MacGyver solutions to random problems. And um, the whole time you're wondering, like, is this my job or am I crossing a boundary or is someone going to end up hurt or, you know, what do I do? I mean, yeah, sometimes things need to get done, though. You know, like if there's especially if there's something to clean up. Sometimes it just needs to happen. You, well, your question's bordering on like ethical dilemma situations, which was, yeah, a little bit more gray area. Yeah, I mean, we, we did have some training around that, to be fair. Did it feel like you were problem solving with the client or did you feel like you were like kind of trying to figure it out solo? Yeah, so there's... Again, it depends on the person. I, I would agree with what Jamie said. I think some people are just better at explaining their needs than others. Um, it's funny because it can be something as subtle as just like getting someone in their chair just so, you know, so they're comfortable for the rest of the day. Yeah. And some people are really good, I think, at explaining that. And other people, it was a bit harder. But, you know, it's it's the same thing. It's like familiarity. The more you do it, the more you kind of get to know the person I think it's it's a big part of it's just purely personality. Like I fortunately don't like have a lot of anxiety. Mm. And I think that if someone does yeah. have a, a lot of anxiety when they're trying to like figure out, oh no, my tire's losing air. What do I do? Then they start to just kind of whirlwind yeah. and spiral into a dilemma state some people get more frustrated when something like that arises. Other people... I think flustered is a good word. Some yeah. people get flustered, and so they're unable to explain as easily. Yeah. If I, in the so. rare, rare instances where that kind of happens to me in terms of my care, sometimes you just have like, um, you have like an itinerary or like a running list of incidents that have occurred in the past mm. as it pertains to certain maneuvers or needs and when they've gone wrong and you just really don't want that stuff to happen again. Like if you don't transfer in a particular way, or if you, uh, if you forget to turn off your chair before you do something or like, I don't know if you just like miss a step, you can be like, Oh no, 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 please don't do that. Because you're suddenly like reliving the instance where someone accidentally drove their chair into you, drove your oh. chair into you, or you fell in the shower or I don't know. I once broke a rib from reaching down to pick up, like like a a piece of clothing off the floor and ever since then i'm like extremely like uh uh trepidatious about uh, cleaning certain spaces in my house because of the the way i might have to contort my body to like get to that thing that i'm reaching for and so it's Is like that a funny story like was was it like a hilarious piece of clothing that you had to get off the floor before someone saw it or something 
Now I had this tendency, like, cause I used, cause I, all my clothes are on hangers, uh, because I, if I ever do laundry on my own, it's much easier for me to hang the clothes and to fold them. Cause mm-hmm. it takes me 10 years with my like slow, like non dexterity in my hands to like do anything with fine motor skills apart from playing video games apparently. But, um, so like I, one time I just like dropped something on the floor and it was like really small and it was like at a distance away from my manual chair and I bent down to pick it up and I caught my rib cage in an awkward position and I broke one of my ribs uh-huh. and I didn't actually realize that it was broken at the time. I thought I just like strained something awkwardly. And then I got, an, um, I discovered a nodule on my lower right rib, like a, a few months later. And they're like, yeah, you broke it. And I was like, oh, it, it had to have been from that time that I was picking up coat hangers off the floor in my bedroom. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that sounds Holy very painful. And, and the funny thing is I, I had to, in that manual chair, uh, I had this uh, problem where uh, like I had a, a physiotherapist like sell me on the idea of these racing tires that uh, that were filled with air. But the problem is because I would use coat hangers, I would often roll over the coat hanger and accidentally let the air out of the tire. And so it took me like years to realize that I actually needed solid rubber on my manual chair. But mm-hmm. after that, it like significantly reduced the amount of times that my friends had to lug me over to like candidate care medical to pump my tires, which is a, a thing that happened so often that I would have to buy them lunch every time it happened. <laughs> so... We've introduced the characters in the movie. <laughs> yeah. But essentially, I mean, this kid is stuck in his house because his other mom has kind of locked him there. And she lets him watch TV. That's basically all he does. I think he's probably finished high school because he's like 19. And he's and maybe isn't going to college because his mom has told him that he can't handle attendant care. Or maybe he can't because... It really, it is hard to find uh, an accessible place to live in university. Carleton was basically the choice because of attendant services and not really because of the program. I looked at other schools first, and then I realized it would be such a headache to get the care that I needed that I just went to Carleton and then picked a program. I, I ended up just applying to three different programs at Carleton rather than applying to the same program at three different universities. Yeah. I, I would like to have our mutual friend, John McRae on the podcast, yes. who is also disabled just to ask him how the fuck he survived so many years at university of Ottawa after his undergrad. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I was there in the first few days with him. And I remember that that was, those were heady days. Yeah, that was a, a real crisis at the start there. I, I, I'm sure he figured it out, but it must have been quite a fucking ordeal. That was definitely some improv days for me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, good for him for taking that and being able to just being able to say, okay, well, this is the program I need and I can't do it at Carlton, so I'm just going to have to find my way through. They were not set up, though, U of O at all. I feel uh, like they're still not set up even after that. <laughs> I mean, like that should be a source of embarrassment for learning institutions. Yeah. Oh, we can't have disabled people. We should do something. Yeah. Like the uh, opportunities for disabled people to seek higher education have probably been made a million percent better from a global pandemic than anything else, Mm. which is pretty fucking sad. That's a very good point. Even just employment in general. Yeah. No shit. 
So, so because of all that, this kid is stuck at home, Trevor, and he watches the news. And I think because he's kind of, he's got a very dark sense of humor. I, I don't think it's off-brand for him because it makes sense just based on uh, the circumstances leading up to where he's now. His humor is super dark. And I think that essentially he uh, lives vicariously through the TV. And mm. he watches these news clips on various things like the world's deepest pit and the world's largest bovine and just ridiculous things. But because there's something about he has a map where he's like, I want to go. But I don't even think he wants to go. I think he just marks down. It should also be, be mentioned that he's British and that his, his mom moved to Seattle, I think it is, because for a job. And so he's he's a he's originally from across the pond, and um, he I think he thinks that these things are hilarious, like these roadside attractions that he's made a map of, like the world's largest boba, which they are objectively, but yeah. there's kind of a part of like oh, silly American culture in in his attitude for sure, yeah. just like mundane middle American mediocrity, which is even funnier that he he ends up loving Slim Jims. <laughs> yeah, yeah. which is a major character in this entire movie yeah i'm pretty sure they sponsored this movie this movie should be called slim jims and broken limbs <laughs> <laughs> oh man that's yeah that's the sequel for sure <laughs> um yeah so paul Rudd decides to take him for a trip to have a bite to the james Bite the gym. Bite the gym. Bite the gym. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, like Paul Rudd sees that he's got this map of all these um, mundane little attractions that uh, he kind of wants to see, go and see ironically. So he's like, why don't we take a road trip? And so the two of them go on this road trip together. And then obviously, like one of the rites of passage of being on the road is eating shitty foods in a car with your friend. And so they, they start eating. Slim Jims. And it's also kind of like a convenient snack food for uh, Trevor because he can hold it in his hands. Which are like pepperettes. Yeah, I they're guess. the Canadian the Canadian equivalent is the pepperette. Mm-hmm. They eventually make it to the bovine place though. And that was hilarious. That was a yeah. great scene. I, I agree with Tony. The best part of that scene was the three seconds of them trying to get him up to the second level. Yeah, just the way they cut the edit was so good. So uh, yeah, like, they basically... They show up, right? They they show up, and obviously it's not accessible because they're in middle America. It's a big barn, and they want to see the world's biggest bovine, which he, they learn is on the top of a flight of stairs. And Paul Rudd, in a pretty amazing fit of rage, basically forces them to make it happen so that Trevor can go up and see it. He, and the guys even like it's not that impressive. It's like, it was a four dollar uh, uh, attraction, so they spent eight dollars on this thing, and yeah. now they were forced to have to carry this kid up a flight of stairs. <laughs> and so they cut to just three seconds of Paul Rudd standing there, not even helping, which is the best part. And then the owner of the attraction and some probably like friend or worker yeah. or something 
on the other end of the chair. They're just both screaming. They're like, they're like, my head is slipping, my head is slipping. <laughs> to the left, to the left. I mean, it gives me flashbacks to moving too, like moving couches and stuff. And like, yeah, just any heavy object upstairs. I can see. Yeah. And when you're the disabled person in that scenario, mm-hmm. like you have to totally play it cool. And you also look like the, the person least contributing to the whole situation, but it's fucking terrifying. Yeah. What is it like? Walk me through what it's like being in that situation. Maybe I can do it by example. Um, like when I was living in in Ottawa in 2013, I had a job um, it, with a consulting agency. I was being paid like minimum wage to be like essentially a, a database administrator uh, for public works uh, and government services, Canada, uh, like uh, Canada post. Um, but anyway, my first day on the job, I they like onboarded me during like a crunch period, which was when like all the coders and, and the developers were like uh, working absurd hours to try to push out like the latest uh, the latest version of the uh, the project. And uh, uh, they asked us to work until like 10 p.m. But then the problem was that they turned off the they turned off power to the hydraulic lift that got me to uh, the office where I needed to code uh, at 8 p.m. And like all the guards and, and security, the people who administered the elevator kind of like left the building. So it was like 1030 at night when me and all like the 25, 26 year old kids and my boss, who at the time I think was in his mid thirties, not sure why this is relevant, but <laughs> where we all realized that the elevator was like completely out of service and that nobody was going to come on site to turn it on and get me like down, down the stairs. And so I, I was like insisting, I was like, no, no, please do not carry me down the stairs. There, it was only like four steps. I think it like, it, it wasn't too much. Like it was, it was less daunting than this fucking barn house in this movie. But um, my chair, like uh, at the time, it was like an Invicare, like older model from 2009. So like with me in it, it probably weighed in excess of uh, 400 pounds. And uh, I only had three guys with me and they're like, well, how like 400 pounds, it can't be too, too bad. Like no oh problem. We can do this. And like, I was so embarrassed because I figured like, this is something I probably should have con- considered like, um, fine, I'll stay late, but can I still get home? Like, I didn't even bother to, like, ask the question because you just kind of assume that if, you, if you're working for the Canadian government, that, like, they have an accessible space and that I'm not going to get marooned. That's not on you. No. I know, but, it, like, it, it was a whole fucking spectacle and it was only my first day and I hadn't really proven <laughs> that I was, like, like a competent developer yet. And then yeah. here, here, like, my whole like team is trying to figure out a way to like carry my fucking chair down this set of stairs. And they did, but it was only because two of them like were bodybuilders essentially. And they like, they had regular gym days. Uh, like they were at the gym, like two or three days a week, like weightlifting hard. And like, uh, they used to make all kinds of jokes with me on leg day for some reason. Anyway. So yeah, like that was a huge embarrassing thing. And I was so worried that they were going to like, fuck up or that like we had kind of not really properly assessed like what level of effort this actually was because no one had ever like deadlifted my fucking chair before i so i also didn't know if, if something could have broken or they would have like disengaged the brake and like everyone underestimates how heavy these chairs are they always do like they always think like oh how heavy could it be like the person inside the chair is harmless this can't be that much 
work to get yeah. them like out of this situation. What was going through your head in the time where you were hoisted to the time that you were set down four steps later? Like, You're basically just thinking like, fuck, 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 fuck the whole time. And you like feel you feel so guilty because you can't like you can't take on any part of the weight yourself. You're actively contributing to, 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 to the weight of the situation and you can't alleviate any of it. Like all you can do at the end of it is pat them on the back and say, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And you're like, you're really hoping that that doesn't set a precedent for the, like for subsequent interactions you're going to have to have with these people. Yeah. And so I basically spent the rest of that internship, like trying to figure out how I could like, like um, lessen the load on them. Like mm. figuratively speaking. <laughs> if I had a picture of my face, during any one of the times that I've been carried up or down a flight of stairs in my chair, it would be one of those cartoon things where your eyes are like bugged right out of your head and your head is spinning around 180 degrees both ways. And you're just like, (laughs) it's like a, a submarine on alert. Is there any part of you though, that's just kind of like, resigned and it's just like, well, this is how I go. It's out of my hands now. Yeah. Yeah. But well, you, there, you do have to. You have, yeah. You have to force yourself to give up some control because yeah. basically, my my role is always just making sure that they're holding on to appropriate parts of the chair that I know won't snap off. Yeah, and then also like <laughs> make sure my chair is turned off because like I don't want them to hit the joystick. Oh man, that would be yeah. Because everyone's like, okay, well, like, where can I grab it? The natural instinct is to grab the armrest, which for mine, freely flip up and down. So that has no bearing on being able to pick up the chair. So you have to instruct them on the parts where they can hold them. But the other thing is you kind of have to be the calmest person in the room. Yeah. Yeah. So that you can lead them into like, okay, well, this is what you have to do. Because if, <laughs> like we said before, if you're freaking out, yeah. it doesn't help anything. It just kind of makes everyone's anxiety goes up and yeah. it, it really doesn't help. So you have to, even if you're faking it, you have to act like you know exactly what to do in the situation. Fake mm. it till you make it to the, <laughs> bottom, to the bottom of the stairs. <laughs> <laughs> the number of times I've had dreams, though, that <laughs> I can take stairs. It's like one of the recurring dreams I have. And sometimes it's not even just walking down the stairs or my wheelchair. Rolling. It's like I have had recurring dreams where all I do is take a run at a flight of stairs and drive like full speed towards the top of a flight of stairs. And then just somehow like the Dukes of Hazard land on the floor. <laughs> This is so funny. I just Googled what dr- what stairs mean in dreams. <laughs> and it's uh, it says in this one, dreams are cl- about climbing stairs are almost always a good omen. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> it means that you have decided to put efforts in your in order to achieve your goals. But I wonder what 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 going down. Yeah, Dukes of Hazard down the stairs. <laughs> what is that? I don't know. I'll, I'll Google it and I'll get back to you. <laughs> Yeah, so they, they basically cut to just three seconds of everyone screaming. And mm-hmm. I have had shots in my life, if 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 there was a video camera on at the time, mm-hmm. where that's exactly what's happening. I've talked about it on this podcast before, where someone 
when a group of friends were carrying her before the stairs and someone's hand started slipping. And they were just screaming, I need help, I need help, I'm slipping. And someone else had to go and like take both sides. Mm-hmm. And that is a terrifying moment because at that point, you do kind of resign yourself. You're just like, <laughs> all right, well. It's been a good run. <laughs> There's also a part of me that is worried that I'm going to give like someone uh, back or shoulder problems for the rest of their life. Like I'm going to put them in physio because of the one instance where they had to carry one part of my three. You'll you'll put them in a wheelchair. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Like I'm in some way weirdly contagious. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Google is a weird thing. Says it, it could mean you don't have luck in love uh going downstairs it could means you've been overlooked for promotion or failed exams wait how can your dreams tell you that you've been overlooked for a promotion no it's like it's like they're supposed to be symbolic you know (laughs) (laughs) of something i think dreams this is my unscientific um like take on dreams that i've heard from random people uh clearly great authority is that you have images in your brain that flash while you sleep and your brain makes sense of them. Hmm. Maybe, maybe the images are random, but the meaning you attach is um, what you're going through in your life. Anyways, that's my uh, amateur uh, uninformed opinion. And it's right. It's fact. I will stand by it. Defend it to the death. I, I'll, I'll believe it. I, I still haven't heard from any devotees after the first episode. So maybe I keep going down flights of stairs in my mind for that reason. <laughs> Thanks, Google. <laughs> what what else does he... Okay, so they... What do they do? Oh, yeah. They're going to the pit, and then they go visit his dad. I, I found that scene was, like, comically... The dad was comically, like, bad. Like, he he was, I think I said, a caricature of just a terrible person. There was, I think what I like about this movie is it does nuance pretty well, but that dad character had absolutely no nuance going on. It was like, basically he goes to see his dad, right. Uh, who had left him when he was three and he got the diagnosis of Duchesne and he goes and drops in on him. His dad had been writing him letters, uh, this whole time. And I guess, uh, Trevor takes a letter to his dad who works at a car dealership. And he's like this big shot car dealership guy. And um, his dad says, oh, his name is on the door. Yeah. <laughs> he says, oh, I, I didn't write those letters. It was your mom that wrote them. And then when he's trying to cheer him up, he, he goes, do you want some money? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which is like both really sad, but also just hilariously like dumb. It's unfortunately relatable to me. But anyway, long story short, my dad Paid me money to never see me again. Oh, damn. <laughs> <laughs> so it is, it's not a caricature then. This shit is real. It definitely sounded like he was doing a bit like, who talks like that? Yeah. Way, like, even just, like, I don't know if that's his actual voice in real life and that's how he sounds in every movie. It sounded dubbed, right? He didn't seem like the type of person that Trevor's mom would have uh, bumped uglies with. But he did seem like the type of person that. If she did, he he would have left. Yeah, right. maybe they bumped uglies and then he pieced out. Although yeah. he pieced out when he was three. So that whole scene might have only worked like if he had it, like with the dad being that emotionally distant. Like, because then you could kind of like accept that right. uh, he's not in Trevor's life or whatever. But he he was like 
he seemed so like out of like a fish out of water in that scenario, like not knowing <clears throat> how to react to Trevor uh, trying mm. to reach out to him. Like it's almost like he didn't even think of himself as a father. Like that was just something that happened and it's over with. And he's like, I'm sorry. All I can do is give you money. Like, see you later. Well, he was also so cold in his response. He was like, oh, yeah, so your mom always told me I should write, and I didn't write, so... Like, he, there was no remorse or anything. It was just like, oh, like, I'm sorry that you came all this way. I really don't think you should have, because I honestly don't care. Right, yeah. but also making him an idiot kind of absolves the movie of having to have a scene where he explains why he didn't really want to raise a disabled child. Right. It's kind of explained in that he's an idiot. Yeah. Right, exactly. <laughs> so maybe but, he is actually the best caricature that they could have had. Yeah, true, true, true. And he's a, he's a car salesman, which is hilarious. <laughs> Anthony, did your dad ever apologize to you, like, outside of his wallet? No, but I did buy 007 for... N64 with the money he gave me, so I feel like everything was fixed. Right. I mean, that is an amazing game. James Bond, you know, teaches you all you need to know about life. Yeah, it was probably the best game. I identified heavily with Odd Job. Because <laughs> you're always throwing your shoe at people? <laughs> it wasn't my hat. I forgot. <laughs> no, that's the shoe, not. The hat. shoe was Austin Powers. Oh, the shoe his... was Austin Powers. The <laughs> yeah, hat was yeah, James yeah. Bond. Right. <laughs> The hat is canon. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but it was one of the uh, couple, there's like, two moments in the movie where Paul Rudd and Trevor, Paul Rudd's character is Ben Benjamin. Also oh, yeah. Hilarious. <laughs> what? It seems like bad writing. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the name in the actual book, too. Yeah. What's with that? <laughs> Jesus Christ. Could have been. Apparently, the writer has been compared to Charles Dickens. So. <laughs> on, on Wikipedia, though. Uh, according on. to Wikipedia. <laughs> Wikipedia, the great critic. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it is one of their two fights. And this one. Yeah. Uh, the first one was basically Paul Rudd being like, um, you're a dick. And it doesn't, I don't care that you're in a wheelchair. You still can't be a dick to people, which is great because, like, people do get away with a lot when they're in a wheelchair. And Paul Rudd was the perfect attendant because he very quickly realized, oh, this is just your everyday person, and I'm going to treat him no differently than I would another 19-year-old dick. Hold mm -hmm. on a minute. Kyle, did you ever have that conversation with a client where you're like, I know you're in a wheelchair, but don't be a dick to me? Oh, um, I don't know. I wouldn't say that to like anyone. Real well, no, I would say that to some people, I guess, but... <laughs> No, like, like never like that. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's a bit tough because like I mentioned earlier, I always tried to be kind of professional when I was doing my job and, and treat it as, as such. And so I, I think that if, if someone was being a dick, I would do my best to, um, to kind of take it in stride. Do you feel like you gave people a longer leash because they were in a wheelchair or maybe even because there's like an odd power dynamic when you're working for someone. Uh, yeah. I think it's the latter. Like, I think it's like if you're working at um, Starbucks and someone's being a total dick to you, you can't really say, Hey, 
you're being a dick, you know, like just take your coffee and leave. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? You, you, especially if they're a regular customer, they're going to come back tomorrow and you have to sort of navigate that relationship. So I, I would say I just did that out of the dynamic of the, 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 the being hired to do that. Uh, I would like, it's kind of an impossible, an impossible situation though. Cause you, you'd never be expected to wipe the customer's asshole. <laughs> that is true. That is true. It's such an interesting dynamic of, cause like when you're my attendant, I'm kind of in charge, mm-hmm. but you have all of the control at the same time. Like you can at any point, uh, you know, refuse to do something or do something poorly on purpose. And I know that like, you wouldn't do that. And I, I don't know anyone who would or has done that, but there is that possibility. So it's like, there's kind of like a, it's, it's a very precarious dynamic because there's so many different little micro uh, levels of power that are happening all at the same time. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, the, 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 the person, the client or the person that you're taking care of does have the power to get you fired. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, so there is definitely some, like, I, I, I know what you mean by the control, but you know, like I've been, I've been reading a lot of books like Sapiens where, you know, they talk about how human beings like coordinate with one another and how it's not necessarily the strongest, you know, ape back in the day that you know led led the group it was the one who was best at like navigating relationships so i i I think of it kind of in the same way like there's definitely yeah there's definitely kind of power dynamics going both ways and it's just i i think it's in in the mutual interest though of both people to have kind of a good relationship so that is a really interesting thing that you brought up too actually that they can get you fired but it's not like you can like you, like you, uh, you can't exile a client from attendant care. No, you can't. You can't maroon them. Mm. You can't. To some extent, you cannot refuse them their needs. And even if they are the problem, basically the only course of action is to remove yourself. And it, come to think of it, as well, the the best attendants or those that lasted the longest were those that were able to sustain relationships with every client like on a on a neutral basis like i was thinking like i don't remember there there was quite quite a uh quite a grapevine at carlton and i don't remember you ever being part of it <laughs> yeah i think thinking about this you have to set up boundaries too with the the, the client um both emotionally sometimes but also um, yeah, there, there's, we did have a session. I remember about, obviously, I think you guys have talked about this earlier about in, in earlier episodes about client, uh, or attendant relationships, right. And what are the boundaries of that as well? Um, that gets like super dicey. I, I never had a, had a relationship with someone I attended at Carlton, but, um, yeah. And how to deal with that, how to deal with stuff of a sexual nature as well. Um, uh, all those, all those issues are because technically, if you are the attendant, you are supposed to like aid with that stuff. So where's the, you know, where's the the line and what you can and cannot ask an attendant to do? That was always kind of interesting. I I didn't really get tested too much on that front, but it w- it would definitely be something that would would have come up. I would I would assume at Carlton and um, well, like if you were to date a client. And then things didn't work out yeah. and it was a bad breakup and you didn't want to see that person again. 
like we're saying, like there's no way for you to get them out. Yeah. So you have to quit your job as a result. The the attendant the attendant gets fired. I think that was the understanding. Is if you had entered into a relationship with someone and it didn't go well, you need to go. Because yeah. they can't they can't, you know, like the the person there can't go, but you you just need to go. Like it's, they'll hire another attendant. Yeah. If you're gonna assume that risk, you, you gotta I mean, ideally, if you do end up dating someone, you break up and you're adults about it and you can Mm -hmm. still see each other after without it being a gong show. But absolutely, that's not always the case. Yeah. Anyways, so um, I I was never in a situation where I had to, like, really tell someone off for being a dick. It was mostly just, you know, stuff maybe that struck me the wrong way or a person was being... I don't know, whatever, like in a bad mood or something. And you just, you just kind of get on with it. And then at the end of the day, you, you go home and you drink a beer or whatever. Well, that's part of it too, is, is your job is a lot similar. uh, It's similar to like customer service. It is. It's totally customer service. Yeah. 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 Your, your role is to kind of manage relationships. Yeah. And if they are angry at you, Mm -hmm. you can't just, Okay, well, I'm leaving you in bed today then. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have to kind of basically apologize for something that isn't your fault. Yeah. And then walk around on eggshells until you finish the task so you can leave. But there is, like you said, a weird dynamic where the attendee is beholden to you as well. Like I remember I slept through my alarm once. I showed up late for a shift to wake somebody up and it was like, it it didn't go well, basically. I kind of screwed over their day. So yeah, I mean, it's um, complex. Yeah. But it's the same. It does work both ways. Like sometimes I'll have attendants and they're having off days. And then I, you know, sometimes they come in here and maybe they're mad at something that happened at work and they want to blow off steam here. It could be something completely not related. Maybe they just slept in or aren't feeling good or whatever but it is it is kind of mutually customer service like you 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 are handling a relationship in a precarious balance because i've definitely as a kid been a dick to my mom or something while she was getting me up in the morning and then she'll just like all right fine and walk away <laughs> and just leave me in bed and <laughs> looking back i for sure deserved it but yeah. when you're in that situation you're like you can't do that you can't just like leave me here mm-hmm. uh, usually Wait. my dad would end up coming in and finishing it up like well i guess you said something today <laughs> it's both a customer service is both an imperfect and perfect way to describe it in a way is i mean it's not exactly like your typical what you would picture customer service being because it's like people's lives and livelihoods that you're affecting but it's um yeah it's about relationships it's about being diplomatic i think that that would be a thing i would ask at the interview like explain a time where you had to be diplomatic and yeah just being a people person kind of yeah how do you handle people that are being mean to you yeah don't worry i was a i was a soccer referee for a few years (laughs) so like well, anything I face at attendance service has nothing on that. So 
Basically, when you're a soccer referee, you sign up to be abused for like <laughs> an hour or however long you're refing for. You know every call is going to make someone angry. Oh, yeah. Paul Rudd addressed it pretty funnily uh, when they were making the rounds. We kind of skipping ahead a bit, but like Trevor makes some joke at Paul Rudd's expense and he's like, watch it or I'll put your clothes on inside out tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> Which yeah. is like a pretty funny way to to explain the dynamic is like yeah you could do that if you chose yes and if you were my attendant and you decided to put my clothes on inside out i couldn't stop you i could try to manipulate my way through the situation with words it's too bad i didn't think of that (laughs) what it's just it's inside out who cares what important plot points have we missed jamie um we haven't even introduced selena gomez (laughs) <laughs> is, it, is it important that we introduce Selena Gomez? Do you think yes. the, the movie does some good things there? I think so. Like, you can tell that she's seen some shit. You can tell mm. she's one of those people who's been through life and kind of grown up at a rapid rate because of the stuff that she's dealt with. And as a result, makes her, without being offensive, like mature enough to see Trevor as an option. Like, they have some a meet cute kind of moment which he's a hitchhiker that they meet uh while they're driving to this pit that uh trevor wants to see and uh she compliments trevor on his shoes and he freezes and says mall and then paul rudd realizes that he's gonna have to take this opportunity to teach uh trevor how to interact with women because he's had like there's been a an absence of a positive male role model in his life so he's gonna have to take the reins and absence of women. Mm. Right. Well, you know, that, that too. Um, so, you know, Paul Rudd takes the initiative to ask her uh, if she wants help to where she's going. And then she gets kind of roped into this adventure to to go to the pit together. And it turns out that she's quite open-minded about uh, Trevor's situation. What I love the most about uh, her role in that movie is the way that she goes about asking Trevor about why he's in a chair. Like she cuts immediately to the chase. Mm. She asks him about like his prognosis, you know, like whether he's going to die soon, sooner, sooner or later. Um, she asks him whether it hurts. Like she gets it all out of the way up front. Mm. Yeah. And, and like, it's like so attractive and so refreshing. And your favorite part is when she asks if his penis works. Yeah. That's like the third question, which it should be probably the third question. <laughs> not, not the first uh, I, I guess. Third, you think three is a good number? Yeah, three, three, three. Ideally, it's like, what's your favorite movie? Do you like music? And does your penis work? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, they have a relationship, sort of. They kind of there's a, some romantic tension there, and it's believable, uh, which is cool. But I think yeah. it's totally, it's totally coming from her end that it's because they're both dark. They both kind of have like a. Sort of nihilistic sense of the world. Yeah. And yeah, they, they, they work, they work in a believable couple. Their on-screen chemistry is pretty good. She's a very good actress, especially in this role. Mm. Yeah. She reminds me of like Ellen Page kind of like Ellen Page caliber of, of uh, presence on screen and comfort in front of the camera and like organic line delivery and like just cool. She's just cool. She definitely like pulls the, the the narrative or the the story along sometimes like when they're having that fight after um, 
Trevor goes to see his dad. And then that, you know, Trevor's like, we're not going to the pit. And Powerhead's like, fine. And then Selena goes like, no, we're going <laughs> to the effing pit. And then yeah. that sort of pulls the story along. And then, of course, the pit, the pit brings everyone together. together. A lot of things happen at the pit. Yeah, the pit is the culminating moment. We forgot to, to talk about uh, Peaches, who, who they pick up as well. Yeah, I just kind of thought of her, too. And she didn't really add much to the movie. Well, except no. for in the pit. She's the plot driver in the pit. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. There's another, there's a pregnant woman on the side of the road that Paul Rudd decides to pick up. And then Trevor makes a joke about how they're just America's taxi service, which is kind of true. And then the movie sort of like starts to resemble more and more Little Miss Sunshine, which uh, uh, Kyle pointed out. But yeah, uh, this woman is extremely pregnant. And um, we didn't really mention the fact that Paul Rudd uh, is like, is it is it a widow if you lose a child? He's he's a anyway. His child died, and uh, there are suggestions that he got the gig as an attendant to try to kind of cope with the loss of his child. Anyway, this pregnant woman um, sort of like ushers in like Paul Rudd's ultimate healing process from this great loss because he has to help her give birth to the child at the end of the movie, and because she she makes him talk about the joys of parenthood. And just sort of like confront his pain over that incident. So yeah, like every character in the film is utilized to the utmost effect, even the deadbeat dad. And then the last epiphany of the movie (laughs) is Selena Gomez's character. Her dad was kind of following him around for the whole movie. And eventually um, she decides to go with him for the rest of the trip which is obviously devastating for Trevor because they were getting to a point where they were definitely, they'd been on a date at a diner and things were definitely building. The tension was building and there was real chemistry between them, which is great because it was probably, I would argue that of all the movies we've watched so far for this podcast, that was the healthiest relationship between an able-bodied person and a disabled person. That's a very good point. I mean, there aren't a lot that we've covered where there's an interable relationship. I mean, there's, I mean, at least half a dozen, which is a good sample size, I would think, for us to speak with authority on that fact. Yeah, but they've all had some weird, like, one of them was doing something creepy or weird, or it just didn't feel as wholesome and genuine as this relationship. Is in the other movies, are the attendants? the romantic interest of the person with the disability. Cause I was thinking it would be different if Paul Rudd wasn't there. You know what I mean? And it would be a different dynamic going on. And she was forced to do all the care. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's a good point. That's a very good point because I've been in relationships where uh, the person I was dating did do a large majority of my care. And then I've been in relationships where they didn't do almost any of it. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to speak for other people, but for me, it seems healthier when we can just focus on being in a relationship and not having to worry about the attendant-client dynamic as well. And mm-hmm. obviously they don't view you as a client and you don't view them as an attendant when you're doing that. But like we're, like we've said, there are some... I, I In relationships where the person was doing my care... If we get in a fight or something, 
while they're getting me up in the morning, then they have to continue out of like an, a weird obligation to keep doing that when the healthiest thing is to just remove yourself and take a breather and, mm-hmm. you know, repair and come back later. So for me, it definitely is healthier when the person I'm dating isn't responsible for all of my care. But that said, um, I usually do look for someone who is able to do it in case, you know, we're like on a trip together or something. Yeah. You know, sometimes sometimes you want to be just the two of you. Yeah. But you're right. Paul Rudd, first of all, he's a great wingman. Yes. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Is there a better wingman than Paul Rudd? I don't know. Oh, God, no. And uh, second of all, yeah, they do have just a very healthy... Overall, I think even though everyone is on their own journey, they're kind of all, all, they have their own set of problems that they're working through. They all have like a fairly healthy dynamic with each other. Yeah. That makes sense why they're together. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All all three characters, I'd say Paul Rudd's, uh, um, Craig uh, Roberts and Selena Gomez's, they all, they all, they all have a character arc. They all grow during, during the movie. Yeah. And Peach's, uh, as a baby. Peaches as a baby. <laughs> that's, that's Peaches's contribution. So yeah, in the final epiphany, Paul <laughs> Rudd uh, realizes that Craig Roberts' character, Trevor, is uh, sad because Selena Gomez is leaving and he decides to make his day by helping him because throughout the movie he's been trying to help him peace standing up and it's always been a hilarious catastrophe. Yeah. Um, but this time he sees the stretcher, the plastic evac stretcher that the ambulance was using to get Peaches out with the baby now is free. And so he uses it in a moment of pure social engineering, somehow manipulates these uh, ambulance drivers to let him use their stretcher, props up Trevor on it, and holds him up at the railing overlooking the world's largest pit so he can pee standing up off of the world's large into the world's largest pit. Yeah, and I think they yell and scream and there's people like looking up <laughs> above at them. I think honestly though, if anyone could pull that off, it would be Paul Rudd. It's kind of like uh like the camera's moving at 360 degrees and it's kind of like it reminded me of Titanic. Uh, scene in Titanic when he's like <laughs> the king of the world yeah. except he's like pissing into the largest pit in the world. This is the greatest piss in the world. <laughs> <laughs> it's a similar feeling of ecstasy. Kyle, is it everything that they chalked it up to in the movie? Peeing standing up? Yeah. It's pretty great. Yeah, it's yeah. pretty great. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's 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 one of those things that I guess is taken for granted now, but it's just like a nice luxury or it's a nice way way to do things, I guess. I've always wanted to piss off the end of a boat. Off the end of a <laughs> boat? Yeah, because like I've been fishing a few times with friends and I I just like hate the moment where I have to like bring out a urinal and like tuck myself away and like pee in seclusion. I just want to piss off the end of the boat. You guys ever peed in water before? Peed in water? Like, yeah. I mean, like in a pool? I, I meant like, um, like I'm thinking in a lake pool, I don't know, or whatever. I'm so scared of pissing my pants that I can't let myself pee in like foreign <laughs> environments in general. If it's warm enough, I can pee in the water. 
But if the water is yeah. cold, I can't do it. Yeah. Okay, I have a question to, to uh, pose. Uh, we talked about this, Jamie and I, the first time we watched. But who would you guys want to go on this trip with? You are Trevor in this scenario. Mm-hmm. And you can't have Paul Rudd. A uh, famous person? Um, I guess. Yeah. Damn. And it can be male or female. Mm-hmm. I think for me, I thought about this a bit. And I think it might be Michelle Wolf. Oh, man. Right? Wouldn't that be so fun? That would be fucking hilarious. I thought you were going to say Michelle Obama. <laughs> Michelle Obama. <laughs> that would be good. <laughs> yeah, Michelle Wolf, I think, would be um, super fun. I think she would navigate the attendant-client dynamic really well. Trevor Noah. Trevor oh. Noah. I think I might take Trevor Noah. That would be fun. I, I, the comedy strain, you know, like I think you do have to have a good sense of humor to be a good attendant and like yes. to navigate that relationship. I think on both sides to an extent. Howard, yes, because if you, if there's an emergency or some awkward situation and all it does is stress everyone out, it's just going to make the time worse. But I think also they would be awesome because they would have hilarious stories. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, They'd just be a good travel companion, too. What about you, Jamie? I was thinking, like, I kind of find this person a little bit irritating, like, if they if they have too much, like, caffeinated energy. But uh, Robin Williams would be good to go on a road trip with, probably. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Let's think. I mean, Robin Williams would be entertaining to do. He was the kind of guy that was just able to turn any mundane situation into just absolute hilarious chaos. Yeah. Yeah, he would help you cope with, like, even in the middle of a stressful situation, he would make a joke and yeah. immediately disarm the situation. I, I would also go with Steve Carell. I was just thinking that as well, you know, Steve Carell. Yeah, I was also thinking that. Because apparently he's, like, a really nice guy from the rumors I've heard. And the, only, the only issue is that it would turn the movie uh, even more into Little Miss Sunshine if, if he was. Yes, right. true, yeah. true. Um, this movie's definitely made me want to do a, an actual road trip. I've never really, I've done it with my parents, but obviously that doesn't really count. But I think that would be so fun to just like rent a vehicle and have like one. I actually don't mind the concept of ridiculous attractions that are almost the opposite of what you think you'd want to go see. Honestly, you'd be surprised at how many ridiculous attractions there are out there yeah and i mean and maybe this goes without saying but the whole point of the road trip is the road yeah once you get off the road it's like things kind of get lame unless you like yeah i don't know just being in a car with your buddies and having nothing else but your friends and like some gross junk food to like distract you uh, is like the perfect situation for laughing and bonding and fucking around it's great what would be your snacks tony um, it would just be like so many different varieties of chips. Uh, yes. Oh yeah. You're a savory person. You never have sweets. You weirdo. No, I would be over the sweets immediately. It would be just like, what? Yeah. Just a various flavors of chips from packy ghost pepper chips to sweet chili heat Doritos. Oh yes. Just a minute. If a Kit Kat chunk was right beside you, Within arm's reach, and no one else wanted a piece. You wouldn't just chunk. like, yeah, Kit Kat chunk. It's got like that weighty chocolate in it. It's like substantial. It's like it's so it's so heavy. You could concuss somebody with it. 
Yeah, Kit Kats are very good. But if there's a if if I'm going to a deserted island on a road trip and I have the choice of a Kit Kat bar or a bag of chips. Even if it isn't my favorite bag of chips, I'm still going with the bag of chips. Are you sure you're not just partial to chips because they're easier for you to eat? I don't think they're necessarily easier because a Kit Kat bar just melts in your mouth. But chips, you actually have to not work for. And chips are dangerous because they can you can more easily choke on a chip than you can on a Kit Kat bar. Do you guys know what Pocky are? Yeah. I love Pocky. Yeah. yeah, Pocky would be like the best of all worlds. Pocky, that's true. You know what they are? Those are those are like Pop Tart sticks. <laughs> yeah. I was thinking too of I just had these the other day, so they're on the brain, but mini donuts. Mini donuts from where? I think I could go through like twelve of those on a Kyle, like easily. I'm saying this right now. You really <laughs> need to do your snacking podcast. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's in the works. I feel like as soon as we mentioned snacks, mm-hmm. I could see so many ideas coming to you oh yeah 100 percent. and if i was gonna go on a road trip with you i knew i know i could count on you for the snacks oh hell yeah i'd bring i'd bring the snacks you would be the yeah you would be the snack guy i'd bring it snack master snack master snacks snack master k <laughs> in the house <laughs> what were you saying jimmy i was just gonna say like even when you're stoned you're not partial to sugar i just have to get over this <laughs> What is it that you, that you want me to like sugar so much? <laughs> Just I come from a family of people who love sweets. Like my parents always like they're very stingy on on the on the main course, but for dessert there's like four options. Mm. I did a fondue night the other night where we had like a fountain and it was like flowing chocolate. Yeah, I saw a picture of you with like a chocolate mustache yeah. and you looked unhappy. Well, I mean, you're like, I wish this was like a savory, salty mustache. Yeah, I wish it was cheese fondue. <laughs> you wish it was like little cheese dust, like the cheesy yeah. things. Like, <laughs> I just like, I, I, this is such a fundamental disagreement between us. Okay, well, you guys will have to come onto this podcast and debate savory versus uh, sweet snacks. Oh, that would be awesome. Yeah. <laughs> and I want good, concise, logical arguments. Okay, I'm all over that. And then, of course, all out, like, illogical rants as well. Tony, do you think we could logistically go on a road trip together? Like, if we had, like, a couple vans and, like, a few friends in attendance with us, we could totally pull it off? Yeah, I would, I would. I would love that. Like, I would totally take, like, a month It would off. actually be fun to have multiple vehicles and then, like, a walkie-talkie system. <laughs> Would you just would you just find the craziest like roadside attractions uh, this side of the Mississippi? I think I would pick like a destination, like a city that I've always wanted to go to, probably like Middle America or like Texas or Austin, Austin, Texas or something like that. Oh damn, U.S. And then yeah, just like start driving. Aren't you scared of getting shot though? <laughs> getting shot. <laughs> yeah, you definitely have to plan your route carefully. <laughs> I the thing is I've been not to brag, but I've been everywhere in Canada. Mm, really? Yeah, I've been all across Canada. I could do um I could do an eastern seaboard kind of thing and then down to like the the south. So like, you know, Philly, Boston, Washington DC, New York obviously. Yeah, that kind of thing. 
Okay, yeah. That'd be sick. Carolinas. I'd be down for that. And then swing in, swing in once you get south into like Tennessee, Texas. Go eat that yummy barbecue. I'm I'm all about food. I'm all about food. That's how I travel. Like you know. Oh, that's a very good point. I would also yeah. like to plan it around like good barbecue spots yeah. and just various destinations is where it's at. Totally. All right. So are we planning this road trip? Is that what's happening? I guess yeah, so. Yeah, yeah. We should do it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Do you guys want to play some some wheel breakers before we uh, before we go? Oh, wheel breaker. Yeah. Do you have one ready, Jamie? I do, but I'm not sure if it's like politically incorrect or not. I'm kind of walking the line here. I don't think we've positioned ourselves as a politically correct podcast. I know, but this is potentially insensitive. Can I t- can I can I go? Okay. Well, worst case is we delete it and everything you've ever said. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. Okay. So. Uh, Okay, so let's say, do you know you know the concept of wheel breakers? Of course, Kyle. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So let's say uh, you're completely able-bodied. Shout out to Kyle who was on another episode, not in person, with a wheel breaker. He was the one that inspired, and we give you credit for this, but you were the one that inspired uh, the "That's What She Said" wheel breaker. Yeah, which was really fun. Mm-hmm. Okay, so would you give up your disability? Um, for an able-bodied body, if you had to look, if like you're new in your new able-bodied body, you were still you and had your thoughts and memories and you were you, <laughs> but you look exactly like Kevin Spacey. Oh, but you're not. No, you're not. So your whole life, you have to explain to people that you're not Kevin Spacey. <laughs> exactly. And, and your name is Kevin Stacy. <laughs> <laughs> Devin Stacy. I guess, like, I don't, uh, I I still would like to be able to have the door open to be somewhere in a public facing role where I can. So you think you would lose your public profile? You think like explaining to people your situation would not be enough? Like, can I just grow a beard and look someone else? I, I, I mean, you're like, you're effectively physically Kevin Spacey. But do I, can I, can I change my appearance in such a way where people stop thinking I am him? I mean, yeah, you could grow a beard, but you're, you still look like Kevin Spacey. With a beard. Yeah. I'm just wondering how much I could do to, to get to a point where people would stop thinking I'm Kevin Spacey. Like if I change my hair. Well, you can't get plastic surgery. That's totally off the table. No, they always will. They always, they always will. I think that's the point of this. Yeah, upon seeing you, they immediately think like, oh, there's that guy from Seven who's a terrible person. <laughs> All right, I'm going to say no. I, I just don't know enough about what it might do to me. And I don't think it's worth, you know, like, I don't hate my disability enough to potentially lose my future. Okay. Okay. I, I've got a bit of a crazy one. You guys ready? Yep. Crazy yeah. wheel breaker here. Yeah. Okay. So you wake up. And you're fully able-bodied. But you know how we were talking about earlier in this episode that, you know, sheer terror of being lifted up and down stairs by multiple people? Oh, no. That happens to you at random. Uh, and oh. you're, you're unable to control anything in the situation. Like, and, you don't know, and you don't know whether it's going to work out or not. 
So occasionally, like you're an able-bodied person and you're living your life. And then occasionally when you go to take the stairs, like someone swoops in behind you with some sort of chair apparatus. And everyone appears, like, just people, like, like, uh, what is it called? Those flash mobs? Like a flash mob (laughs) just comes around you and starts trying to lift you up the stairs. Yeah, and it's (laughs) unclear whether they're going to be strong enough to do it while they're doing it. Oh, God. Oh, that's terrible. Here, but the thing is, they might be drunk. They might be a little. They might be a little tipsy too. Um, <laughs> what do you do? Think, it? Jamie, I don't know. <laughs> like one of the persons, like they have a cane and uh, like a back brace. Like, <laughs> like, like brace. there's, it's feasible that they could do it, but it's not assured. I don't know. So like, every, how how often? Every so often, yeah. I was thinking about it. And I was like, oh, maybe I could say every day, but then you get used to it, and it would be predictable. <laughs> it happens at random. It happens at but random. But is it like ten times a year? You don't know. You have no so idea. It could be up to every day. It could be like you could have it happen three times in one day, and then not again for five years. Oh no! <laughs> that is terrifying. Maybe you just become some kind of celebrity because, like. <laughs> You're walking down the street, and all of a sudden, there's always, like, the chance that some flash mob comes and sweeps you up <laughs> off your feet in a chair. Maybe people would look at you as, like, oh, wow, who's this guy? That's kind of fun. Like, like they, they don't know you're... that you're in, internal, you're freaking out. Mm. The other thing I'm thinking is I'd be able-bodied enough to probably not be as scared because part of the reason I'm in such terror all the time is because I know I'm not going to be able to do anything to stop this from being a tragic ending. No, you you lose your mobility for those moments. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, no, this just keeps getting worse. <laughs> this is such a convoluted but hilarious like, hypothetical. <laughs> yeah, you, uh, you've, you've become like the world's worst genie. Like, you have all these powers to yeah. like make something that goes so wrong but you've constructed it in a very precise way yeah i think i would take the deal yeah i think it would you'd you'd probably still get used to it even if it was random yeah i think you'd still kind of get used to it and like maybe you could start an instagram account you could just do like a live feed where like will it happen today am i gonna get swept up I think I would develop like a like a like a fear of staircases in general, and I'd I'd only take the stairs if like no one else was around. Fair enough. Yeah, you'd be that guy who like is completely able-bodied, but still refuses to like still takes the elevator everywhere they go. Yeah, <laughs> even if the even if a disabled person asks you to leave the elevator, you'd be like, "I'm sorry, I'm, I got to stay." Yeah. It's actually called. Bathmophobia, the Bath-mophobia? fear of slopes or stairs. <laughs> yeah. Or cl- cl- climacophobia, the fear of climbing stairs. There Someone just has too much time writing phobias. <laughs> yeah, really. Trying to make them sound Latin and sophisticated. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I, don't, I think I would take it. I would try to turn it into a career. <laughs> <laughs> try to monetize it. Yeah, I try to monetize my random. You could have, hair. you could have like a, you could have like a TLC special. Yeah, yeah. Like randomly, you know, like random flash mobs. The man who lived with random flash mobs. The scary thing would be if people thought that it was like an uncoordinated 
effort. And so randomly people on the street would see you and they would just start picking you up because they thought that they were all in on the joke. Yeah. And then you just get random strangers being like, no, no, no. Like it's part of a, a spell that I'm under and it's not, you're not <laughs> supposed to be picking me up. Somebody else is going to come do it some other time. Yeah. It's supposed to be random. <laughs> <laughs> but you wouldn't do it, Jamie. You think that you'd be too scared. Well, no, like it's a small price to pay. I think I would, I think I would do it. I feel like you would, once you got through the first few, you'd be, you'd be better suited to it. And then as an able-bodied person, I'd be more familiar with stairs because I'd use them more often. So I'd be mm. less scared of them, like holistically speaking. <laughs> All right. I got one. Obviously, you wake up tomorrow, you're fully able-bodied. Everything, I can fix everything about you, except unfortunately, I'm not able to fix your spastic bladder. And in fact, in some mishap during the the magic trick, I've made it such that Every day from now on, you will absolutely pee yourself anywhere from zero to three times every day. I can't tell you when it's going to happen, but I can tell you it will be an entire pee. And you're just (laughs) going to have to accept it every day. It will happen. Actually, no, not zero to three, one to three times. Am I allowed to tell my employer about this? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you you can tell them. I feel like you'd have to invest in very good diapers. And it can happen at at random points, like mid-conversation. You can be just like, right after you peed yourself once, you clean up, have a shower, and then pee yourself again. (laughs) Without drinking fluids? That's so cruel. Yeah, no, all of a sudden it's just a full bladder and you pee yourself. What? All of a sudden? That sounds terrible. The asshole bladder. (laughs) <laughs> which is it a, bl- a bladder or an asshole or maybe i'll say zero to three just so that you you might get the odd day off the odd day off I, so then i would just basically become the guy who pees but like some people are into that <laughs> would you could you have an absorbent thing that you wear that like so it doesn't go through your pants and stuff whatever is available on the market you can buy yeah Okay. So, yeah, you could probably get some good diapers. You'd be Mm. the guy that wears diapers to work for sure. Mm. But, I mean, that's maybe it's a small price to pay. I'm not sure. (laughs) So, one of the main reasons why I hate pissing myself (laughs) is because it's hard to clean up. But if I was able-bodied... It'd be easier. It wouldn't be hard. It'd be easier, yeah. But it could happen again right after you clean it up. Yeah, that that detail sucks. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. Or you could just clean up, and then the, the good thing is it will never happen more than three times. Wait, so if, do, if it's what, randomly, about, what about at night? Will I piss the bed like with my hypothetical partner that I have? It's over a twenty-four hour period, yeah. So it could be at night. They could all happen within the first hour of your day, and then you know that's going to be a good day because you've already got all your peas out of the way. <laughs> <laughs> would you take this deal? Or no, I know I would not. I don't think I would either. It'd be terrible. I don't think I would be able to because like the fact that it's so unpredictable and you don't know, really, it's just a different disability, right? Yeah. Uh, But is it, it, maybe it's easier to deal with because, you know, you just hop in the shower 
the, the thing is the embarrassment. Mm. I don't know if it would be that big of a deal. You could wear a condom catheter and then just strap that to your leg and walk around all day. I think maybe maybe I would take that. I think there'd be ways around it. You could possibly cope with it. But yeah, I, I, uh, I don't know. Kyle, here, how about this? Would you rather have this happen to you or you become Jamie? Like Jamie's disability. <laughs> That's the reverse <laughs> of the question. <laughs> That's a terrible th- question to put somebody on the spot over. <laughs> no, I've seen how Jamie lives. I can't. <laughs> I don't mean specifically Jamie. I mean like your ability to have fun. Would you oh, rather pee yourself man. randomly all the time or <laughs> have a hard time transferring from bed to your chair? You think that's Jeez. my whole disability, Tony? <laughs> <laughs> man, your disability doesn't seem that bad to me. Well, there's like, you know, I, I, I'm not good. Okay. <laughs> I'm not good. My disability is worse than your disability. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know if I'd want to pee myself regularly. And even with the condom catheter thing, that thing could malfunction, and that would make a huge mess. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't Plus, think there'd always be a much. warm bottle of pee on your leg. <laughs> that wouldn't be that bad in the winter, I guess. <laughs> Summer would be horrible. Yeah. The smell. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, that's my answer. No yeah. pee. No pee for me. Yeah, okay. Pee, pee when I want. Wait, can I still pee standing up in this scenario? Not if you're Jamie's disability. Yeah, dude. All right. Yeah, still still same thing. <laughs> I haven't found a good way to pose wheel breakers to an able-bodied person. <laughs> I mean, I think that's the, that is the best way to do it. It's like, would you rather be me or have this thing? <laughs> and people are like, yeah, no, whatever it is, I'd rather have that thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nope. <pee. laughs> like, would you rather be me or no? No, the other one. <laughs> Do you rather constantly have a large dildo up your butt 24-7 or? <laughs> wow. <laughs> I like how you had to say large. <laughs> like if it was small, I might have been like, yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Get used to it. Yeah. <laughs> it might even be helpful somehow. <laughs> Before we go, Jamie, did you like the ending mm-hmm. where... Does the dis- does the does Trevor die? Oh, and then he's faking it. Oh yeah, they do this like fake out where they're like, yeah, and then Trevor lived happily ever after for eighteen months after the road trip. Just kidding. Yeah, no, they they said they said that his attendant. Okay, Paul Rudd's character quit. The new attendant found, you know, got hired on, found Trevor on the floor, um, not not moving. Uh, and then, you know, like the audience is led to believe that he's, he's died and that Paul Rudd's like typing up an obituary of some kind. Yeah. He kind of indents the paragraph and he's like, but he was faking roll credits. <laughs> you know, I suppose, I suppose that's the best working example of a subversion of that trope. Yes. So, you know what? Like thinking about it, I did like it. Thank you for making me think about it. And we didn't really talk about this at all, but it's very on brand for Trevor. Mm. Um, we didn't really mention how much of a, I don't want to say prankster, because that seemed very lighthearted for what he was doing. Dark prankster. Yeah, like he, there were multiple times where he pretended to choke to the point where even the audience was like, oh God, he's dying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that was just. And a, I don't think that's a yeah. cool, some of his pranks were pretty funny, like, um, 
moving his chair while Paul Wright is trying to lift him or giving him false instructions. I've definitely done that before. Like, I'll be like, okay, now you're just going to need to shove the entire Kleenex box into my mouth. <laughs> and they'll be like, wait, what? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'll just do that so it'll help me. And just because I like to, you know, give people a hard time. But I would never pretend to be dying to an attendant so that they would think that, like, I'm literally choking to death. Yeah, like, that's, that's a boy, not funny. Boy who cried wolf uh, thing going on there. Yeah. So it, it was on brand anyway for him to, yes. to set him up as, or set the new attendant up to witness them. I thought it was a funny ending. Kyle, do you have any awkward disability stories of the week? Oh, jeez. Awkward <laughs> disability stories. Um, <laughs> is this like a recurring segment? Yeah, it we is. asked each other for awkward disability stories. Of the but week. we've never had an able-bodied person on. So. <laughs> uh, I don't even know if I have one, and I'm very disabled. So. <laughs> well, I remember, okay, I remember I, I went out with um, John McRae to a Raptors game once. Okay. Yep. And I remember he was like, we bought beer and he was adamant that he could carry the beer on his chair while he was going. Um, and I was like, dude, this does not look like a good idea. And he's like, no, 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 it's fine. It's fine. It's going to be fine. <laughs> and lo and behold, like we go like two meters no. And like the beer starts to explode at the top because it's filled up to the brim, right? Even though they put those stupid little caps on, you know, the plastic ones that are super yeah. cheap. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so I had to clean some beer off of uh, John McRae and tell him I told him so. Um, <laughs> I don't feel that bad mentioning names in this case. No, I think you would find that funny. That is the perfect awkward disability moment. Yeah. Even though it wasn't you. Well, but. I was offering to carry them, and he was like, nah, nah, I'm good. <laughs> you know, like, we could have avoided this whole situation, you know? Yeah. So here's the thing. Like, I, I, this is a problem that I have not solved, which is commuting with a liquid. It's not easy. No. Like, not easy. I, I, I have this problem because uh, I live in a garage, and it, like, the ramp is really steep, as I've explained in the podcast previously. And so when I make myself a cup of coffee, uh, like I can't really bring it myself to the garage. My mom's like, oh, you're a lazy uh, jackass. And I'm like, no, no, no. Like, just just try. Like, take take hold a cup of coffee and drive the chair down the ramp. It's it's impossible because if you accidentally stop driving, the forward momentum of the chair, like on the incline, will just spill the liquid all over you. You know what you could say? It's much simpler. You could say, try carrying a very full cup of coffee or whatever and try like doing anything while walking because the the liquid splashes around, right? And if you ever try drinking while walking, that never works. Like liquid while mobile never works that well. No, it's never a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. And when you're driving down a ramp and then you stop driving, the brakes on your wheelchair like lock into place. Immediately. But the liquid is still moving. Yeah. What happens to be at motion tends to stay in motion, <laughs> which is Newton's first law of wheelie dynamics. Right. <laughs> I I would always get made fun of at work. You know, my coworkers are good people, you know, whatever. But they would always make fun of me because I'd go to the local donut shop 
down the street and I'd come back and I'd get like three lids on the coffee and I'd always come back with like coffee all over my pants. <laughs> yeah. And and like I I actually challenged one of my coworkers. I'm like, please, please, please take my chair one day when I'm in an office chair and go get us a cup of coffee and, and a, like a dozen donuts. I'll pay for it. But if you come back without any liquid on your pants, I'll pay you money. <laughs> Damn. And he still hasn't like, taken me up on that bet yet. It's like the disability challenge. Yeah. You know, you should, you guys should come up with some tests for like able-bodied people to try and do in a chair, like, okay, like that, like carrying a liquid. It would make a good point, you know? Do you remember when you uh, took uh, our friend Blaine's chair? Oh, oh, do I remember it? That was an awesome night. We hung out once. It was like me, uh, Kyle, Blaine, a couple other friends. And we were all going to go for a walk. But Kyle was, unfortunately for him, the only able-bodied person there. And obviously that's a big... um, genetic defect to be bodied <laughs> in that group yeah what a loser <laughs> yeah so i felt very ostracized we we all felt really bad for him <laughs> we all pitied that you know we all were the superior race and he got stuck <laughs> having to walk everywhere they kept making that point it was kind of kind of weird yeah so, <laughs> <laughs> so we gave him uh, an extra wheelchair that they lifted him. me up was it a manual up. chair or a? It was a power chair. chair. No, it was a power and chair. At first, we were like, "Okay, like turn the speed down," and <laughs> uh, you know, like not five go minutes slow. later. Yeah, so he tries it out, and obviously, Kyle, being having been around the disabled people for so long, basically was an incumbent wheelie at this point. Um, <laughs> yeah, I was. I was kind of a natural with that chair. You were admit. so good at it. If I, if I do say so myself. <laughs> It, within, yeah, literally five minutes, Kyle had it turned up to full speed, and we were just racing down the bike paths. Do you remember that guy who got really angry at us on the bike path? Yeah, he was and like, get off the bike path. Yeah, it was, that was too funny. That was on O'Connor, and the, there was a guy coming the other way in a bicycle, and he's like, get off the bike path, or he's like bike path is for bicycles or something like that. He was like yelling at us as he was going by. <laughs> yeah, there's some weird politics about bike paths where people think that uh, if you're in a wheelchair, you are supposed to be on the sidewalk, even though we would be mowing people down on the sidewalk. Yeah, oh, that doesn't yeah. sound good at all. No, we're definitely way closer to a bike. Whenever I drive on a sidewalk, I like constantly slide out of my chair. And it's because really, of the bumps. Yeah, it's really hard on my back. Yeah, the the sidewalks are not accessible because every three feet there's like another bump, and it's mm. the worst. But with a bike path, it's just smooth sailing, yes. and you can go full speed. Sidewalks are cripple popcorn. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like when you're on a trampoline. Did you say cripple popcorn? Yeah, like you know when you play pot like popcorn on a trampoline, like you like. Uh, snuggle up in a ball and someone bounces the trampoline that's what sidewalks are for cripples because the lips like they make you pop up and down constantly yeah i see what you're saying definitely would be a fun game show for sure but that should be the the, one of the challenging in the uh wheelie test for able-bodied people is to have to carry a cup of water and drive down uh, a sidewalk 
That would be an amazing like survivor challenge, yeah. you know? Like do an obstacle course in a power power chair. That would be a great like YouTube game show or something. Uh, yeah. Take uh uh take the bus in a three wheeled scooter and uh <laughs> try not to tip over. How about that? Go anywhere in a three-wheeled scooter and try not to dip on Jesus I, I did that for like four years, and I never wanted to leave campus because I didn't feel safe. Yeah, I never understood the three-wheeled scooters. I don't know, because I was, yeah, I was very naive and stupid back then, and I just didn't want to accept it. They're like, if I have less wheels, I'll be less disabled. <laughs> the, that psychology is probably not even off the mark. I wish we had prepared a parody of a song to end it on, but we could uh, do... The cha cha slide, I guess. <laughs> Do you have it? Do you oh, have the parody? Uh, all I have is you guys can help me out. Drive to the left. Drive to the right. <laughs> Drive to the left. Tilt back real slow. <laughs> <laughs> left foot plate up. <laughs> right foot plate up. Reverse, reverse. <laughs> <laughs> Recline. <laughs> I love it. Kyle, is there anything you would like to? finish off do you want to promote your upcoming <laughs> my podcast is not yet in the works promote anything in case people really love what you had to say and they want to reach out to you or follow you somewhere uh like that. just keep what keep listening to more of this show these guys are awesome awesome dudes and they're they're doing a great show you guys are doing an awesome job so i'm gonna flip that back on you and just promote you instead uh, as yeah. soon as your podcast starts, we will be promoting this night out of it. Yeah, and then we'll have a like road trip edition episode where we do we do this this the snack diaries. <laughs> <laughs> I would absolutely love to do a road trip with you. Sweet, yeah. No, it'll be sick. That'll be so fun. Be I sick. think road trips are gonna be the new way to travel post COVID. Yeah. Because you can just be in your bubble. Do you think I'm a good driver, though? I have no idea. But I think there's only one real way to find out. That's true. Yeah. It was awesome being on this show. I appreciate very much being invited. Yeah, it was awesome having you, man. Thanks Thanks a lot, Kyle. Yeah, for sure. Take care. And you outro music. (laughs) 